My guest today is Jonathan Hatchwell, Country Manager of Gigamon and former Sales Director at Commvault, Accenture and Oracle. Jonathan, you spent 13 years total at Microsoft as well as a Sales Manager, uh, but you started your career as an engineer and then transitioned into sales. Uh, but like I said, recently you've been a sales leader and for the most part of the last 20 years you've been a sales leader. Um, so what I want to know throughout your career, what are some of the most common traits that you've seen in high achieving sales leaders? Yeah, thanks, David. And thanks for having me. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's two words in that title, sales and leader. Um, and often, um, you know, we kind of forget that. So first and foremost, I think you have to have really strong leadership capabilities, abilities, um, and, and you've got to you know, continually uh, hone your craft, both as a salesperson and as a sales professional. And I'm you know, pretty big on the sales professional piece, but also as a leader. Um, and that's, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a big follower of people like um, Simon Sinek and Brene Brown that you know, talk a lot about empathy, uh, you know, uh, talk a lot about finding your why, talk a lot about how you show up as a leader. One of the things that I tell people who work for me um, that, that, that's been said to me a number of times by the leaders that I've respected is, hey, I work for you. You're, you on the front line, the salespeople, the systems engineers, the professional services consultants, you're doing the work, right? They, they are the face of the organization. In fact, they are the organization as far as the customers are concerned, as far as your partners are concerned, and as far as your suppliers are concerned. So I work for you um, to enable you to do your best job. Uh, or your best work on behalf of our customers and be as successful as possible. So, so I think you know to to some of the common traits that I've seen in in really high performing sales leaders is they understand how to sell. Um, you know, first and foremost, the sales professionals they hone their craft as a sales professional. Uh, you know, always looking for great podcasts like this one, or you know, books. Or, professional development, et cetera, to hone their craft as a salesperson, uh, but also, uh, you know, to help to hone their craft as a, as a leader uh, of people. Um, and I think, you know, the other dimension of that is the sales profession would understand how to sell, but the best sales leaders also understand how customers buy and, and how to lean into that and get the most, you know, coach their salespeople and get the most out of them for helping connect them to the, the customer's buying process. Just, you know, we, we've, all, we've all worked for that sales leader that just you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. You know, just you know, do, do all, the, all the basics, you know, make your 50 calls a week, do your 10 customer meetings a week. There's no, there's no real, you know, real coaching around that or real understanding of, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? What if the customer's doing this? How do we solve for that? Um, and that, that's another dimension to it as well, which is great sales leaders have resilience and um, can problem solve on the fly, right? And particularly, we're in the last week of the quarter right now. Um, this week is all about overcoming obje objections, obstacles, and problem solving. Um, it's, it's very hard as a sales manager not to get you know, emotionally kind of tied up, tied up in, the, uh, in the deals. But just to really kind of step back and, and, and problem solve and, and help your team through uh, or coach your team through uh, some of the challenges that happen at the end of the quarters and, you know, right at the point of getting deals done. Mm. 
yeah, you mentioned something before that uh, great leaders are there to serve their teams, which, um, you know, there's this concept of servant leadership, which I really love when people espouse those values because the best leaders that I've had, the best sales leaders I've had have been very much servant leaders. They're there to facilitate and help myself as an individual, yep. not to, I guess, bark orders, <laughs> to, yeah, put it yeah. a, to put it bluntly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, so, sometimes it's tough love, um, and and tough love, tough love can look like, uh, hey, you're, you're not running this in the right way. Let me pull pull you back on track, right? Put the guardrails up. You, you need to stop doing this. Um, you need to do something yeah. different. Uh, you know, I've had occasion this week to, um, to to say to one of my guys, hey, this is not a negotiation. This is a point in time at which you listen to me and you do what I want you to do. Because that's how we're going to get this deal done, um, and, and sometimes you have to be tough. You know, I don't know what it was like for you as a kid, but certainly for me, uh, you know, yeah. I had some very tough role models uh, that I looked up to because they were truth tellers, um, but always had my best interests at heart. And I think that's what's what's really important um, is that as a servant leader, it's not always about being nice and fluffy and stroking people's egos and making sure that you know that they've got a nice cup of coffee and a, a cold water when they need one. Uh, it, it's about helping people be the most successful version of, of themselves. Um, in fact, if I can, I'll, I'll tell a very quick story. I, I worked for a guy um, at Oracle, actually, um, who is still one of the best managers that I've ever worked for and also the toughest. And in my very first performance review, he pulled me aside and he said, hey, you've, you know, you've been doing this a long time. You've got all the leadership stuff down, Pat. You communicate well. People like you. Uh, you, you know, you, you know how to you know how to do all the operation stuff, but you need to learn how to do this. And this was selling finance to CFOs. So you don't know how to do that. So you can imagine, you know, here I am, uh, 20 years of sales experience, and this upstart's telling me how to, um, you know, that I I can't sell to to CFOs. A couple of days later, I realised he was absolutely right, and so my professional development focus became all about learning how to sell finance to CFOs. And I think that's really critical that as a leader, um, you've got your team's best interest at heart and you know, great leaders grow people to grow a business. And I think that's, that, that's really mm, Yeah, definitely agree. What do you think are some of the biggest impediments or challenges to an aspiring sales leader? Yeah, so, so I think, well, to an aspiring sales leader, I, I think... Uh, you know, people who aspire to be leaders have to sit down and ask themselves the question, first of all, why do you want to lead? What is it about, uh, you know, what is it about leadership that, that is attractive to you? Um, and get really clear about that. Like, why do you, why do you want to be a leader? Because if it's just a, you know, bark orders, uh, you probably burn yourself out pretty quick because... Mm. For anybody who's been in leadership knows, you can bark orders until you're blue in the face, but if you're not in the military, people don't have to listen to you and they can vote with their yeah. feet, right? Um, so, so I think um, being clear about why you want to lead. Um, you know, I've, spoken to, I've spoken to some people who aspire to be in sales because they want that Wolf of Wall Street style, uh, you know, uh, movie-like lifestyle where there's just you know, dollar bills floating everywhere and uh, you know, all sorts of extracurricular activities going on. Um, mm. And I've spoken to some leaders that want to get into leadership because they want other people to do the work while they don't. And actually, you know, I think um, leadership is a responsibility to do more uh, 
not the opportunity to do less. And I've certainly found that. You know, I, I, I work harder and I, and I make less money than some of my reps. Uh, and that's a good yeah. thing, right? That's uh, that's what that's what sales leadership is all about. So I think being clear about, you know, again, um, why why do you want to uh, why do you want to lead? Um, uh, but and but why do you want to be a sales leader? Uh, because there you know there are definitely much less complex leadership roles. Customer success is you know no, no less stressful but more complex. Um, uh, or sorry, less complex than than sales. You you tend to have fewer challenges to solve under pressure. Um, professional services you know uh, leadership, systems engineering leadership. Like there are lots of leadership roles. Why do you want to be yeah. a sales leader? Why do you want that pressure? Because um, really, you're, you're the noise buffer for your team, um, and you've got to provide that transparency up to the organization. So getting clear yeah. about why you want to do that, I think, is, is really important. Um, and I think, you know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to a lot of people want to get into leadership because, uh, you know, they want a broader remit. And again, I'll, you know, I'll tell a very quick quick story about somebody who worked for me a long time ago, and I'll, I'll leave the, the organization um, out of it. Uh, they got into to leadership because they had all these ideas and they wanted people to just, you know, adopt these ideas and look how fantastic I've been as a rep and can't you see how fantastic I'd be as a as a manager. And uh, it, it failed it failed dismally. It was the wrong role for him because, um, you know, his his leadership style was to try and control everything and, it was you know, his ideas were the best ideas, and and uh, there was no investments in enabling people. Um, and I I think if you just want to have a bigger impact, you take on a bigger sales job as an individual contributor, not a leadership role. Uh, but if you really want to lead people and you're invested in helping to grow and develop individuals uh, over time, then you know, that's that's absolutely the, uh, the right role for you. Yeah. That's brilliant. I think that's really good advice, even for a salesperson as well. Yeah. Uh, particularly junior salespeople just getting into it might find themselves at a kind of crossroads where they're thinking, you know, is this the right career for me? And that's a very valuable tool. What you said, just do some self-reflection. Yeah. Why do I want to do this? And like you said, same for a sales leader. Yeah. Um, and not every great salesperson is meant to be a sales leader as well. Uh, and I think that's a very common pitfall that a lot of salespeople and organizations go through is that they end up promoting the people who are, you know, for all intents and purposes, good at the job and they excel, they over, uh, over exceed targets, things like that, but they're not necessarily the best leaders. They don't have the right kind of leadership qualities or they don't have the right intentions or the right mm, experience or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, what you mentioned doing that kind of self-reflection is, uh, I think that's key. Yeah. Um, something else I wanted to ask you, Jonathan, what do you think that some, or what do you think are the main things that sales leaders overlook? Yeah, look, uh, uh, interesting uh, interesting question because uh, no no one person in, a, in an organization, in a team can see everything. You take sport, the best sports teams get the best results because they play as a team, not, not as individuals. And I think as a sales leader, um, that sometimes goes overlooked. Uh, you know, we try and stick too much to our, our swim lanes. We talk a lot about swim lanes. We need to, you know, these are our swim lanes and these are the things we've got to do. Um, and, and, you know, um, I think a basketball team uh, or maybe even an AFL football team is a better analogy because 
yes, people have roles to play, but um, sometimes the play doesn't allow you to um, to to make your play, to stay in your swim lane. Sometimes you've got to you've got to cross over it. So I think you know we, we often as sales leaders get get hung up on swim lanes and who's doing what and and, and not sort of pulling together as a team. Um, so definitely recruiting well, uh, making sure you've got the right people sitting in the right seats on the bus and that the bus is pointed in the right direction is, is definitely a place to start. Uh, the, the second thing I'd say is, um, which is along the, along the same lines, is taking too long to make a decision. Oh, should we, you know, should we carve the territories up like this and should we give this account to that person? Or how do we, you know, how do we get the best result out of this and let's do some analysis and draw a spreadsheet and some Power BI and maybe get some chat GPT involved and by the time you've made the decision, the customer's moved on. Or worse, the talent that you're trying to attract to the, to the organization has moved on. Um, so taking too long to, to make decisions is, a, is another you know, sort of key thing that I think, it's not, not overlooked, but it's a sort of misstep that a lot of people, people make. Um, in recruiting for good talent, um, which is absolutely essential as a leader, I think it's absolutely the core skill. It's being able to spot, recruit, develop, um, and retain talent. Uh, yeah. The thing that served me well over my career is that you can teach skills, but you can't teach motivation. Uh, so you know, I look for attitude, aptitude, over um, over you know skills and experience, um, and I look for you know patterns of behaviour. One of the patterns of behaviour I see a lot in sales is uh, moving on from organizations every 18 to 24 months, sometimes, you know, two and a half years, um, that indicates to me, you know, that, that somebody is not, not particularly, uh, if it's, if it's a common pattern, it's, you know, it's not just one or two jobs because we've all been there, but if it's a common pattern, that's, you know, indicates to me that that person's struggling to find their feet as a salesperson and you know, have a conversation with them, but it often surfaces that they lack the motivation for sales, not the skills. Um, so that's you know that's another key one. The last thing I guess I'll say, which is which is probably a little bit um, more relevant to the industry rather than just sales in general, is just eyes up and out of the quarter. Um, we get very quarterly focused in our sales roles because I've t you know we have targets and forecasts and all that sort of stuff. But the fundamentals of you know build engaging with your customers at the right level, discovering needs building value-based uh, business cases, having a, you know, having those conversations for to, to develop future pipeline um, is, is something that lets a lot of sales managers and sales leaders down, um, and definitely something you know, I like to put a lot of focus on um, and have a lot of cadence around. Lots of forecast cadence, uh, every company's got that, but cadence around actually developing pipeline and, and, and customer intimacy and engagement, I think is really critical. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, what you mentioned before about salespeople struggling to find their feet and jumping around different organizations. Um, I see this a lot. I see this a lot in the people that I'm recruiting. Um, and it is unfortunate sometimes because, you know, especially recently, there have been a lot of redundancies. Mm -hmm. So there's really not much they could have done about that. Yes. Um, yeah. But there is the case that I do see someone who has moved around fairly frequently, sometimes less than a year at certain places, and they don't have, uh, you know, or their their reasoning is that they were looking for career growth 
Sure. Um, and I'm thinking there could be a number of things that go into that. It could be that you don't have the motivation for sales, like you said. It could be it's not the right company for you. Yeah. Um, or they selected poorly or you selected poorly. Yeah. Or it could be that there is no career growth there. Um, so that's one of the things I think sales leaders do need to be very critical uh, and kind of read between the lines and use their best judgment when they're interviewing someone. Um, and it should always be a question that you're, you're asking is why did you leave your last company? Why did you leave this company? And I, and I think that that's make a good point. Maybe just let me underscore, underscore that. You know, I think from a recruitment perspective, what, what often happens is we'll brief internal recruiters or an agency and, um, you know, this is the sort of profile yeah. I'm looking for. And, you know, this is the, these are these are the kind of deal breakers. Um, I, I take a slightly different approach, uh, which is which is working really well in the current current role for me as I'm recruiting a couple of roles. I want to see as many resumes as I can, uh, and I you know I want to see who those people know, and I you know want to get, you know, get an idea of, of where people have been, and you know, no no conversation is a bad conversation. So having lots and lots and lots of discussions, you, you can't you can't interview everybody, obviously. Uh, but I like to see a lot of CVs and, uh, you know, be a part of the, the decision-making process. And let me just take a step back to something I said before and, again, underscore that. As a leader, I think your most important responsibility uh, is to recruit, develop, and retain the best talent, which means that that's not something you can outsource. You can't outsource the recruitment of the right people for your role. If you don't roll your sleeves up and get actively invested in the recruitment process, uh, if you don't roll your sleeves up and get actively invested in people's success on a day-to-day basis, then you know you're not you're not living that right. And that's why I like to see a lot of resumes. I'll, you know, I spend uh, probably at the moment because I'm recruiting for two roles. Um, I'd say I'm spending a th- at least a third of my time. Uh, talking to internal people about recruitment, uh, doing interviews, etc. Mm, that's a significant amount of time, a third of your time. And, uh, you know, it's good that you have identified that, obviously, over the years and years in sales leadership. You know how critical it is to your success and the business's success. Yep. And that's 100% right that it's a, you know, it's, it's a two-way street with recruitment. If you're dealing with an internal recruitment team or an external recruiter, you've got to participate in that process as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. I recently bought a house uh, and I used a buyer's advocate for that. And because I work in a service business, I know how valuable the service is and they were very professional, but I was also very, very bought into the process and was very quick to getting back to them, um, turned up to every house inspection uh, and it made things a lot easier. And we both got, well, obviously they got their result from me paying them, but I got a great property from that. Yeah. So... It's, I think it's critical that sales leaders do really think about the recruitment process uh, and their involvement in it. 100%. If, if you're not invested with your team, be that a recruitment agency, internal recruiters, whatever, if you're not yeah. invested, you're not going to get the outcome you want. Yeah. And the same goes for onboarding and you know career development, especially early yeah. on in the piece, you know, the first six months. So I think that's also a key focus area that uh, sales leaders should should uh, think about. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jonathan, I want to ask you as well, how do you manage stress in sales leadership positions? Obviously, they're very, you know, high pressure environments, yeah. especially with large, larger organizations. How do you deal with that kind of stress? Yeah, look, I think um, so, you know, I'm not, I don't, 
I don't meditate and such. I don't recite mantras, and you know, um, I, I see the value in that for for a lot of people. But it's not me, but but I do think um, you've got to have healthy outlets. Uh, pets um, uh, is definitely one yep. of them. Music is uh, certainly something for me, although that does these days tend to be more frustrating than anything else. But being you know having a, a mindful approach to uh, to some kind of healthy outlet is really good. Um, uh, balancing work from home as opposed to working, uh, you know, in the office or, or traveling to see customers, I think is another thing, which is, uh, you know, I find it quite stressful actually working from home uh, because dogs, kids, um, you know, plumbing issues, uh, all that sort of stuff. If I'm in the office, I you know, don't have to worry about that because I don't know what's going on. Um, so, so I think, you know, being, again, being conscious and mindful about where you're working to, to do, you know, particular tasks. Sales is a lot about, um, you know, people connecting with people. So it's very hard to do that uh, over Zoom. Much better to do it face-to-face, much better to work with your, your salespeople, uh, you know, uh, in the office. Um, but, you know, any, any kind of healthy outlet that you're spending time sort of really focused on, um, Put your put your headphones on. Go for a you know long walk or 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 a run or some kind of team sport, etc. For me, it's open water swimming. Um, I like to to swim a couple of, of of times a week, and generally I'll swim you know between half an hour and hour and a half, uh, depending on you know how the how the old body feels. Um, but I do think you know having healthy outlets is uh, is important. Um, and then when it you know it kind of comes time to to celebrate, etc. My very wise grandfather used to say, everything in moderation, including moderation. So, you know, sometimes at the end of the quarter, being able to let loose and celebrate some wins with your team and, and, and that sort of thing, I think is, is, is really important. So definitely you know, yeah. connecting to other people and then having some kind of healthy outlet that gets you outside is really important to manage your stress. Yeah, 100%. No, I really appreciate that. Something I realized quite early on in my sales career is that the more that I exercise, sleep well, eat well, yep. have good social connections, have hobbies that I'm interested in outside of work, mm. um, you know, family, all these other kind of things that you you know makes up a good life, the better I am at sales, the better I am at my job, and the easier it is as well. Um, so yeah, 100%, I'm, I'm with you on that one, for sure. Uh, I'll just say, I will say one thing, uh, you know, because there's a lot of focus on self-care and wellness and you know all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. sometimes particularly in, in these sales jobs you know i spend a lot of time in this chair talking to my team talking to, to customers talking to partners and that sort of thing and, and, and sometimes you've actually just got to give yourself permission to um i'm i am going to sleep badly this week and i know that yeah uh, uh, i'll catch up next week but again i think it's just being mindful of the fact that there are times when you've just got to you've got to crank it up to get things done and, and other times where you've just you've really got to look after yourself. And like, again, it's it's that uh, everything in moderation, including moderation thing. Mm, yeah, good point. I suppose there is a degree of sacrifice as well. Like with anything in life, there's always going to be trade-offs. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, when it's crunch time, you do have to just to kind of reconcile that fact in your own mind and carry that through the week or the month or the quarter even. Yeah, yeah. So, for sure. Um, how would a senior salesperson, and you would have seen many senior salespeople, you know, step into leadership like we were saying before, yeah. how would they best advance their career from a senior sales position into a leadership position? 
Sure, I think um, you know we've we've touched on before. What, why why do you want to lead? Uh, being clear about that it doesn't help to be clear about it if you're not communicating it right. Uh, people need to know what your aspirations are and why it's important to you. You know, really kind of being conscious about building a brand, but most most importantly, building sponsorship from other people both inside and outside of your organization to help advance your career, I think is, is really important. Uh, you know, there's a there's a belief held by a, a lot of people that, you know, if I do a great job, I'll get noticed and, and, and I'll get promoted. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like the salesperson, uh, you know, it's like the sandwich seller at the beach who you know, has a white truck with a little window, no signage. Um, and they, you know, I've got great sandwiches. Somebody will come and buy my sandwich. Well, if they don't know that the sandwich is there and they're great sandwiches, how are they going to how are they going to come and buy from you? You've got a brand whether you choose to manage it or not, uh, and whether you choose to capitalise on it or not. You know, the, the people are going to talk about you a certain way when you're not in the room. Uh, so building sponsorship, I, I think, is really important. And and, and by, sponsorship doesn't necessarily mean I need the CEO and the managing director to you know put me forward for these roles because you know, that's my aspiration i'm hiring for two positions at the moment which are, you know as i said uh, the amount of people who have actively reached out to me to say hey have you thought about talking to this person or talking to that person or uh, you know here's somebody i used to work with that I, I think you should talk to so you know i think those kind of connections only get made if if people know what's going on for you um, so, you know, if you're looking for the next career opportunity, uh, you know, definitely build your brand, build that level of sponsorship and share it so that people know what, what you're looking for. I think the other, you know, the other side of it is you also have to be selective. Sometimes uh, in the pursuit of what's next for you, you just have to say no. Like if you want career advancement, and again, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people in this exact situation. They want to be a leader, and we're talking about an individual contributor role. And, and then when I ask them, why do the individual contributor role? Well, because, you know, reasons that have nothing to do with becoming a leader. Um, and that, you know, that, that, that means you just want another job. Um, and one of the most fortunate positions you can find yourself in is running towards something rather than running away from something, uh, you know, getting yourself out of a bad situation is a valid reason for leaving some, somewhere, right? Bad culture, wrong fit for the job, demonstrates a massive amount of self-awareness. And I'll take somebody who says to me, I'm in a really, uh, you know, bad situation at the moment. I'm not getting on with my boss uh, or, you know, my boss is not getting on with their boss and that's creating stress or, um, you know, the targets are, um, you know, plans change, the targets are different, and I, you know, just can't see a pathway to being successful, even if I stick it through the end of the year. Those sort of things, running away from something is not a bad thing. That's not a reason to look for a leadership role. I think leadership's about growth, um, and, and I think you've, you've got to be selective about what you say no to, so that you can open the doors to the things that you really do want to do. And sometimes it means it's going to take an extra two or three years. And just quietly, I wish somebody had said that to me 10 years ago. You know, I'd be in a very, very different position today and I'd be, you know, I wouldn't have lost sort of five years of my life butting my head against a, uh, what I perceived was a glass ceiling and ended up being a brick wall of my own making uh, because I was looking for something I was A, not equipped to take on and B, 
actually didn't want because I kept saying yes to things that um, that were presented to me rather than you know really focusing on what I wanted to get. Mm. Yeah, that's a very interesting one. It's almost counterintuitive. You know, you think when you're presented with a great opportunity that you can't pass it up, but I think what you're saying is that when you're presented with them, you again you have to be very very critical of what you're looking at. You know, do so much research that you're dreaming about it kind of thing. You know, make sure that you know exactly what you're getting into if you think it's the right decision. Yeah. And then if there's any doubt, it's uh, you know, it should be a no. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, maybe just to talk a little bit about my own situation, I I really wanted yeah. a senior SLT role at Microsoft. That was in my head. That's what I wanted. It was a very specific thing, and I'd kind of built my career to that point. Um, I'd worked for Microsoft for a long time, three times for a long time. Um, and actually, when I when I sat down and unpacked when I was when was I happiest in my career? What do I really want to do? Actually, it, it wasn't a, a senior leadership SLT role at Microsoft. It was something different. Um, and you know, my skills and experience are better suited to what I do today, um, as opposed to you know running a large business inside of Microsoft um, for a whole lot of for a whole lot of reasons. And, and again, if you know if somebody had just taken the time to say to me. 10 years ago, um, you've got to start saying no to stuff, get really clear about what you do want and just go after that. Um, I, I would have been in, uh, I would have been a much happier person for a much longer time. Yeah. Yeah. So a key theme that you, you keep repeating is do the self-analysis, yeah. you know, and one, one really good way I've been doing this, um, it's actually something my personal trainer, my bodybuilding coach taught me. He's like, I want you to go home and write why you want to engage me as a coach yeah. why do you want to do this and then when you figure out that reason ask again why do you want that and then when you figure that out ask why so it's a socratic method yeah. essentially just getting to the core of the core of the core of your reasoning yeah. um, which i think could be really really powerful in a number of ways for people but particularly in career growth when you're looking at new job opportunities or yeah. advancing within the company so yeah and i think yeah. Uh, you know i think that's you, you make a good uh, connection there you know your personal trainer is invest invested and in, i've worked with a great personal trainer for a very long time um, as well not that you can tell from the way i look at the moments but um, uh, they're invested in you being a better version of you a uh, great personal trainer is right and oftentimes um, and i've seen it i've seen it time and time again over my career particularly over the last sort of 15 years or so Salespeople want a mentor to further their career don't do that get a mentor to be a better version of yourself tomorrow than you were today you know, and again it's about that self-reflection and them guiding you through uh, you know the, the personal development get a mentor or a coach for that reason not because it's somebody who can help introduce you to somebody else who's going to get you a job or, or something like that and yeah you know, i've seen that a lot mm. yeah great point where do you think when when sales leaders, you know, when they're looking at getting into sales leadership positions, like we mentioned before, senior sales going into sales leadership, or when they're, you know, new to sales leadership as well, where do you see some of the common pitfalls? Or what are some of the common pitfalls? Yeah, d look, d definitely uh, have seen uh, people trip up and I've, you know, I've made so many mistakes myself. Um, 
Probably the biggest one is, you know, leadership is about getting results through other people, not about getting results yourself, right? So, so you have to let go control um, and let other people do the work and get the results and enable them to do so, right? Yeah, you know, uh, I could, I, I could, in in very poor taste, uh, draw draw a line between. In fact, you can draw a line uh, from the coaching box to the field for a lot of sports, but you know, we're seeing it play out in the Rugby World Cup at the moment uh, with with all sorts of, of of missteps where the coach is trying to control the play too much and it's. It's not working out. I mean, great example from South Africa on the weekend where Rusty Rasmus is holding up his little light to tell them to kick. The kicking percentage was like 10%. You hired the best people to do the job, enable them to do that job. Let them read the play on the field and figure it out. There's a game plan, obviously, that's your job. But you've got to, you've got to get results through other people. So that's one. The other one, which, which we may have seen in, a, uh, in, a, in the Australian rugby team, is you know, recruit badly. Um, you have the wrong people doing the wrong roles uh, on the team. Uh, you have a salesperson that would be better suited as a solution architect. You've got a solution architect who would be better served as a salesperson. Uh, you know, th those sorts of things become difficult to manage. And, and so the most common thing I see there is, is people going, well, I just, I need someone in the job. So, yep, okay, you'll do. Uh, and then, you, you know, we'll again, beat you until the morale improves and you know that's just a no-win situation for anybody if you've got an open role control what you can control as quickly as possible but don't make a hasty decision um, so you know i think that's i think that's really important yeah i think that's you know those that's you know that's probably the the the, the sort of big areas of um, of error that i see and, and certainly for myself where i've where i have gone wrong it's where i've recruited badly and then i've tried to control the play way too tightly yeah, that's a really good one. I think oftentimes there's certain team members that should be either a team leader or they should be in different teams or, you know, they just don't gel with the other team members. And someone I was speaking to recently, uh, Richard Webb, actually another gentleman I've had on the podcast as well. He said that people like people that are like them, which sometimes you need to really look at your people and say, okay, these two are going to perform well together. For these reasons, mm. shared values, shared kind of pers same kind of personality. Mm. Sometimes that doesn't work as well. Uh, so it's a, I think what I'm alluding to is just being a good judge of character, yeah. um, being able to read people well, and then being able to you know put them in the right place so that they can perform the best possibly they can. A absolutely, uh, and that you know that concept of of people like people who are like them is is pretty dangerous, mm. you know, because you do end up with lots of you know you can end up with lots of people like you and, and again one of the things that was introduced well i was introduced to a, a while ago is the, the concept of unconscious bias and it's, a, uh, it's amazing when you kind of pick that up oh hang on a second once you're actually conscious that there is this thing called unconscious bias you can kind of pick it up and i think you know no, no place does it show up more than in you know, recruitment so having a diverse team i think is is critical and I'm not, I'm not just talking about you know gender diversity or, or uh, i'm talking about genuinely people who are different and take have different perspectives um and you know can challenge you uh, will we'll make the team better so yeah, just being aware of your unconscious bias i think is really important mm. yeah i think so too the final question i want to ask you jonathan 
what are you seeing at the moment from buyers? Um, you know, in the market, obviously, there's been yep. very up and down economic conditions the last few years. Uh, the whole way of working has changed. Mm. Uh, the world of sales has changed as well, Definitely. much more customer-led. They know everything about you before they engage with you, essentially. Yeah, what have you seen very recently, you know, in the last kind of year or so, um, and what are some of the challenges that yourself you're facing and that you've noticed salespeople facing? Sure, sure. Um, th there is a definite slowdown in decision-making. So it's, it's not that customers uh, are not spending as much as they did before, but there is a slowdown in decision-making. More people have to be involved. You've got to look at different, you know, customers have to look at different perspectives. The other thing that I think has sort of shifted quite dramatically, probably in the last... I'm going to say the last nine months or so is customers looking for a lower risk, lower cost entry point. So I want your stuff, but I don't want to pay two million bucks as a starting point. What's the option to start, you know, uh, you know a couple of hundred thousand or even 50, 30,000 uh, entry point. Let's yeah. get going. Let's see some results and then we can, we can grow on top of that. That seems to be a very nuanced shift in the way that customers are making decisions these days is, Let's get it in. Let's see some some small wins. Let's see some results, and then we can we can kind of grow it over time. Not every product is is, is suited to that, um, but certainly, um, you know, in the in the cloud arena, that's definitely the uh, definitely what customers are looking for. And when I say cloud, I'm talking about IaaS and SaaS, uh, but also in you know traditional hardware and software type purchases, we don't want to do the five year two million dollar deal we want to do a, a, a smaller deal for a shorter period of time let's get it in let's prove the technology in our environment get some results and then we can you know we've got budget to grow it so that's that's a, another thing that's shifted very recently the dollar fluctuation uh, is, is playing havoc with decision cycles because you know we kind of run out of budget pretty quickly um, not because there's been a price increase but because because of the you know the u.s dollars dropped so dramatically in a uh, our, our currency versus the US dollars dropped so dramatically in a short period of time. And so customers have, and nor should they have, zero respect for your end of quarter. Uh, you know, that, that often comes down to relationship and being able to, you know, ask for the business, um, ask for a favor. But, you know, customers have zero respect for, for the end of the quarter and and they shouldn't have, right? Every project that, uh, that we're leaning into at the moment um, has to show strong ROI in real dollar terms. You know, saving 100 person hours per week is, you know, useful, but uh, but not part of a, a business a business value pitch or, or, or a business case. Um, so you know, real ROI in real dollar terms, and customers demanding more around case studies and references in that space. So yeah, we, we we're seeing quite a shift in the market, which is which is a good thing. Uh, keeps us on our toes, but yeah, def definite slowdown in decision making. Uh, dollar playing havoc, and then obviously, uh, as I say, the, the end of quarter thing and ROI, the things that we're seeing at the moment. Sure. And do you think the slow decision making, um, the kind of ROI that they want to see, like you said, they want to see some initial wins, um, do you think that's because of what's happened the last few years, just the general instability? around things uh, do you think that's why customers are tending to ask for those options yeah look d d definitely um you know we've got this yeah. small project let's let's spin that up let's get some results and then if if the other projects then get funded next year we've got some money to go and, uh, and some 
it's an expansion of what we've got already, not a wholesale, you know, new, new product, new vendor thing. So de definitely, I think the instability of what's happened over the last few years is, is driving a lot of that. But but also, 18 months ago, cash was cheap. Um, customers yeah. had lots of money to do lots of different things. That That's not the case anymore. Uh, you, you're definitely competing for a finite budget. So, you know, customers again are being a lot more circumspect um, and deliberate about where they, uh, you know, where they're spending their dollar. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Jonathan. Really appreciate your time um, and also your insights and uh, your experiences, um, your stories. Very, very valuable stuff. Um, hope everyone got some value out of that as well. And I'll speak to you next time you're on. Perfect. Thanks for having me, David. Thanks, Jonathan. Take care. Cheers. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.